0: So this is a completely new talk. I never gave it in either language. So you are my guinea pigs, my Versuchskaninchen. Tonight I'll talk about an approach to the practice of compassion that can be quite powerful for those who are really interested in applying it in their daily life. It can be an addition or an enhancement to our formal practice of karuna or of metta. The title of the talk is "In the Footsteps of the Other" or "Exchanging Oneself for Others." Lama Sopa Rinpoche says, "The best way to exchange yourself for others." is to think of the suffering of others as your own suffering, and to help others as if they were yourselves. This talk is about cultivating great compassion by means of different approaches. The main theme here will be the exchange of oneself for others. But first I want to talk briefly about... The so-called four immeasurable wishes, Appamanya in Pali, they are, as you know, I hope, the heart's wishes of goodness, metta, compassion, karuna, appreciation or sympathetic joy, mudita, as well as equanimity, upekha. these aspirations when applied are both a training of the heart-mind as well as their expression they are may all living beings attain happiness and the causes of happiness this one may all living beings be free from suffering and from the causes of suffering hope this sounds familiar and may all living beings never. Beings never be separated from the highest happiness, which is without suffering. And may all living beings be free from partiality, from attachment and aversion, and live in great equanimity. So the first, kindness, metta, is the unconditional attitude of benevolence, connected to the connectedness and affection that includes all living beings without exception, including oneself, of course. The causes are the wholesome, wonderful, or sobana qualities of the heart and mind. Compassion, karuna, is the caring human response to suffering. A compassionate heart is non-judgmental and recognizes all suffering as worthy of care, be it one's own suffering or that of others, says Sharon Salzberg. The causes of suffering which we want to diminish and ultimately eliminate are the unwholesome properties or mind states, the so-called kilesa of the heart and mind. Number three, sympathetic joy, mudita, is the realization that the happiness of others cannot really be separated from one's own. We are happy about the good qualities and joys of others and do not feel threatened by their success. Again, Sharon. The highest happiness is the liberation from all unwholesome properties or mind states, all kilesa and the complete unfolding of all wholesome qualities. And number four, equanimity, upeka, is the spaciousness of heart and mind, which prov- provides the framework for the unlimited nature of the three other qualities. This calm, radiant, equilibrium, that allows us to ride the waves of our experience without losing ourselves in our reactions. Desire, all forms of desire and attachment, as well as all, form, all forms of rejection and hatred, are the main antagonists of equanimity and serenity, quite obviously. These immeasurable wishes Appamanya or Brahma Vihara in Pali can be practiced in formal ways in retreats or in everyday life as we do it here. Most often I think kindness, metta is practiced. A little less often it's compassion or sympathetic joy. Rather Unfrequently, it is equanimity, upekha. Equanimity, though, is a central feature in the practice of vipassana. So, in order to bring these healing transformative forces to the foreground of everyday life and practice, they are recited in almost all Tibetan traditions at the beginning of each meditation, Actually, also at the beginning of the day, do it at the beginning of some kind of project that we start, it will lay a good foundation for the practice, the formal one and the one of everyday life, because we remember what is essential. For those who practice in the morning, it means a very positive start into the day. It's like setting the tone in many ways. My teacher Geshe Raphten is not here this time. He taught us the four wishes high up in the forests of Dharamsala in 1970 with the recommendation to recite them every day. He taught them, he said, now you recite them every day, of course, till the, the, the end of your days, not just for the next three weeks. I believe that I could count the days on my ten fingers when I did not recite these or very similar verses. Except maybe at the retreats with uh, Goenkaji, where it was required that one does not practice anything else than what is taught there. But otherwise, it's possible to do it. And I'm not saying that because of reciting these four immeasurable wishes, I'm now a great expert on these qualities. But when I remember what kind of person I was then, in these days, maybe, hopefully, something has changed. What I really would recommend you, hoping you'll take it to heart, recite these four immeasurable wishes every day without exceptions, three times. The essential thing, of course, is that we know what we say and even better that we mean what we say so that reciting doesn't become mechanical. 150 seconds, I think, per day of great importance, great meaning, great effect. Do it. I'm serious. Do it. I mean, I know we give all these advices and all these good ideas, but do it. Now I'll try to convey an idea or a feeling of what kind of practice approaches people like the Dalai Lama apply in order to develop or cultivate boundless compassion. These are very special practices or better contemplations or reflections which are practiced and applied in one's life, in one's everyday life, to develop what is called bodhicitta. Mm. By definition, bodhicitta is the decision to dedicate one's entire life to the well-being of others. It's the doorway into the bodhisattva's path. And, by the way, this is uh, the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. It's a symbol of great compassion. It's the compassion of all the Buddhas. It's been supporting our practice all the time. In my opinion, these are very demanding spiritual exercises that go far beyond the capacity and interest of the majority of us. But I'm convinced that even just listening to these teachings and trying to implement them a little bit, somewhat, is of great benefit. The Dalai Lama confirms this when he says (laughs) interesting statement I find. He says, Forget all the fancy meditation practices. The real heart of Buddhism is complete commitment to others. And I think he means it, you know. I mean, he, as Carol mentioned, he's practicing five hours every morning. He says, forget all the meditation practices. There's one essence. Complete commitment to others. In a commentary on the text that's called The Way of the Bodhisattvas by Shantideva, he says about the awakened heart of the Buddha, or about Bodhicitta, What better way to make our human existence meaningful than by meditating on Bodhicitta, or on great compassion, if you wish? The altruistic aspiration to attain enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings, And he continues, On my part, I cannot claim to have realized bodhicitta. However, I have deep admiration for it. I feel that the admiration I have for this kind of mind quality is my wealth and the source of all my courage. He then quotes Shantideva's verse, of which he says that it expresses the core aspiration of his life. It goes, As long as space remains, as long as sentient beings remain, until then, may I too remain and dispel the miseries of the world, or the suffering of the world. So the exercise I'm going to introduce here is exchanging oneself for others. In other words, we practice taking the place of others and looking at the given situation from this normally quite unfamiliar perspective. On this, Shantideva writes, If you wish to quickly rescue both yourself and others, you should practice the secret mystery exchanging yourself for others. I think in order for such an inner attitude to become real and spontaneous, it takes an extraordinary amount of practice, of commitment and engagement. And in some Tibetan traditions, a whole series of contemplations are used to develop oneself in this direction, Then on the other hand, of course, the idea of the change of place between oneself and others is not only known in the Tibetan tradition or with Shantideva in the Indian Buddhist tradition. This approach is also applied in other cultures and traditions. The Native American Edwin Laughing Fox prayed, O oh Great Spirit, help me that I never judge others until I have walked in their moccasins for two weeks. Not exactly the same, but it goes in that direction. This procedure is not unknown to us in other contexts. Caring parents certainly often do it spontaneously towards the children, we do it in our partnerships, and millions of people do it through their charitable, voluntary work for the benefit of many. But one usually does not go so far as to internally, truly take the place of others. If we have a reasonably spiritual outlook in life, it is probably quite clear that care and compassion for others are an important practice aspect. We feel that we are the same life as everyone else, experience a sense of connectedness, and at the same time move towards liberation The Dalai Lama says, in respect to this practice, exchanging ourselves for others should not be taken in the literal sense of turning oneself onto the other and the other into oneself. This is impossible anyway. What is meant here is a reversal of the attitude one normally has towards oneself and others. We tend to relate To this so-called self as a precious core at the center of our being, something that is really worth taking care of, to the extent that we are willing to overlook the well-being of others. In contrast, our attitude towards others often resembles a certain indifference. At best, we may have some concern for them, but even this may simply remain at the level of a feeling or an emotion. Except maybe for the ones most close and most dear to us. So the point of this particular attitude is to reverse this, at of this particular practice, is to reverse this attitude so that we reduce the inten- intensity of our grasping and attachment that we have to ourselves and endeavor to consider the well-being of others as significant and important. I think in order for us to take this step from ourselves to the others on a regular basis. It takes something more than just thinking or believing that it is a good thing. I think we must come to an inner certainty that it is really worthwhile for us and for others around us to practice this quite often and quite systematically. In order to actively convince ourselves that this exchange is meaningful and wholesome, it can be helpful to reflect on the advantages and disadvantages of this kind of inner attitude. Because my guess is that we Probably have considerable inner resistances to overcome if we try to really practice in this way. It's my own experience. In fact, most of us know that the self centered attitude ultimately cannot fulfill us. But we're easily blinded by the immediate advantage which this attitude promises. If I keep the last word, it's clear how things actually are, right? If I force the right-of-way for portrait, I'm faster way where I want to go, or um, I'll spend less time in traffic jams. If I get on the train first, I have a better place for myself particular place I like. So I get this one. If I can manipulate the taxes a little, I'll have more money at the end. And so forth. I think these are often emotionally convincing arguments that our mind presents spontaneously and plausibly. Maybe more clever ones than this one, but uh, you, you can find for yourself. they're presented in a way that not to act in that way seems almost naive or unwise or even downright stupid. You know, It's like, why would I? It doesn't make sense. So there's quite convincing parts in the mind to think this doesn't make sense. Sounds good, but it doesn't really make sense. But we should check how we feel when we deliberately leave the last word of a conversation to the other, out of generosity, when we let the other have the right of way, the portrait, when we're declaring commonwealth in full because it benefits a common good, it certainly feels more joyful and more deeply connected to life, somehow more Satisfactory. In the Bodhicitta teachings, it is said that the self-centeredness is comparable to a chronic disease. A chronic disease which also causes a number of other ailments. As For example, with someone who suffers of severe chronic rheumatic pain and has to take a remedy, Maybe quite the strong rem- remedy, which as a side effect damages other organs in the long run. One has to take them because it's too painful, but it has side effects. That's self-centeredness. That's what it's doing. It looks like we get a benefit, but in fact there's a lot of drawbacks. Through self-cherishing and self-love, we achieve exactly the opposite of the inner satisfaction that we wish for, whether that's conscious or unconscious. If we check honestly and carefully, we have to acknowledge that we do not really feel good at the moment of such actions. In addition, we create unwholesome inner tendencies or habits, or karma if you wish our heart and mind which will not make us very happy in the future it's quite different when we by way of conscious practice repeatedly leave the advantage to others all texts compare to unselfish attitude with a elixir that's how you say it An elixir. A miracle drug that turns everything that comes into contact with it into gold. We should keep checking it out for ourselves. In fact, we create sustainable healing tendencies which also influence our surroundings. In the long term our mind becomes calmer more collected and fulfilled. Also because this attitude makes our ethical conduct more caring, that in turn has a positive effect on ourselves and on others around us again. This is another relevant advantage of the attitude for the benefit of many. That's the following. I'm not sure if I can put it. Understandably, non-self or not-self or non-duality, the understanding of which is able to liberate our minds, cannot easily be realized. The denser the feeling of self and the stronger the process of selfing is at work, the more difficult it is to see through this process of creating the sense of self. There is no self, but we feel like there is a sense of I, me, mine, self. Exchanging oneself for others assails the fortress of the mistaken sense of self from an emotional angle, while it is assaulted by insight from a cognitive angle. You could see one side is... The Brahma Viharas, the great compassion, this is a more emotional approach which builds down this sense of, this strong sense of self. And on the other side, it's understanding how it works, that it's all dependent, the rising processes that part of them feel, look, seem to be some sort of solid core, but are not. So we work from both sides to somehow see through or dissolve it. Exchanging oneself for others it's helpful in that direction. So in short, standing up for the well-being of others is a win-win attitude. It says, if we want to make living beings happy, we should develop love and compassion And often put ourselves into their situation. If we want to make ourselves happy, we should develop love and compassion and often put ourselves in the situation of the others. And the best way or one of the best ways to achieve this is through the practice of exchanging oneself for others. For example, in there thousands of possible situations, if, a, if colleagues in our company, in our business disagree with us, we can imagine ourselves in their place and try to look at the given situation from their point of view. From there, we can also look back at ourselves and at our way of acting, which is not so easy. It's easy, but we don't want to look that way. But it's interesting. In the years I had spent in India with minimal financial resources, it seemed very important to to learn to haggle. I wasn't good with it, but to learn to haggle, um, to file to, it's very important with the merchants not to be ripped off. Over the years, however, I've spent many years in India. I also gained increasing insight into the living conditions of the millions of poor Indians, and thus slowly began to see myself and my financial situation from their perspective. From their perspective, even though I had hardly any money, I was really wealthy. This moved me to switch from being clever to being more generous with them. Like seeing the other side changes things. You don't have even to force it, but to see things from the opposite side. If we have a disagreement with our partner, we can try for a moment to put ourselves in her or his situation to make their views or feelings ours, which I still don't find easy. And especially when a situation has already become quite muddled, it takes some moments of pause and of letting be changing. One can also imagine to be a politician of the kind that we find difficult or unable to accept His or her conditioning, his or her background, his or her view of life, his or her burdens and the expectation of a large part of his or her electorate or his people. It's not the question of voting for him in the next election, but perhaps we'll find a more conciliary, conciliatory inner attitude, even when we have to oppose him. Externally or her, I'm very concerned with the refugees in Bosnia. Nearly 10,000 women, men, and children are stuck there since a long time. They can neither return nor move into the EU. They're basically stuck at the border of the EU, which is Croatia. Many are waiting in Bihac and the camp of Lipa, which burned down some time ago. Last winter was particularly tough. Several of the refugee groups had to camp in the woods and had to fight against freezing to death. There was deep winter, but not much support because the majority of the local population hates them. Most likely, the situation also causes severe interpersonal ten- tensions and outbreaks of violence within the refugee groups or families, because it's so tight and tough. Whenever they manage to move into the EU the Croatian police captures them sometimes even almost at the next country, which is uh, Slovenia I think, and forces them back over the border into Bosnia at gunpoint, whole family with little kids. It's heartbreaking if you see that in, in documentaries, thanks. Many families have tried it for up to 20 times. brought back. Sometimes they're brought back after five miles, sometimes they make it across the whole country and then back. To take their place means, by means of a lively imagination, is almost unbearable, I find. Yet it's a fact that they have to hold out without no prospect of improvement of their situation. Whatever we can do is just a drop on a hot stone. But we have to do it, whatever we can do, even if it's just financial support. Exchanging places can motivate us to do so. In fact, even additional knowledge of a situation or knowledge about a person can cause us to reconsider our opinion, opinion on them. I recently read a lengthy article about a well-known figure from a political party that is not exactly close to my heart. I had actually no opinion about this person, but I did have um, some va- vague assumptions because I knew in which party he was part of. Most of the facts of his life had not been known to me until then. What I learned was completely surprising and in many respects quite far away or even the opposite from my previous vague assumptions. Although the man is still not on my line, the facts I received about him and his life triggered a, a rather drastic change of perspective in me. I hadn't even tried to take his place. And yet, my perspective changed in a surprising way. Getting personal information about someone can already change a lot. As a regular exercise, we can practice in the streets, in everyday life. For example, by briefly taking the place of of not everyone, but of some of the people who walk past us or who sit on the wayside. We can put ourselves in the place of our neighbors, uh, friendly and the unfriendly ones. We can take the place of the waitress in the restaurant or the place of the salesperson when shopping. We can take the place of the meter maid, the traffic warden. She is about to put this infamous paper on our windshield or somewhere. We can exchange ourselves for a reckless cyclist, bicycler, or an aggressive car driver. can take the place of the person we are reading about or hearing about. If we practice it a lot with difficult people we may accomplish what Abraham Lincoln proclaimed in one of his well known statements I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. If we really practice this exchange, we can see that the effect is different from simply treating others with interest, understanding, and compassion. But all these contemplations are certainly not easy, but rather demanding, and one might tend to forget a lot of the time. Taking the place of others often requires finding understanding, compassion, and equanimity for them, which in turn requires that we must also have understanding, respect and compassion for ourselves. This is particularly necessary when it comes to people who are fearful or jealous or arrogant or stingy or selfish or even malicious. Meeting these people with interest and compassion requires from us not to run away from the pain all these feelings with our, of all these feelings within ourselves. we can take up this challenge. It will transform our attitude to the feeling of others by understanding or being compassionate with the feelings of ourselves. It's something we have been or many of you of us have been doing here in this week. At times. As we'll soon notice, the exchange with loved ones is easier for us. With unknown ones a little more difficult. While well, we usually have a much harder time with people we hate, obviously. And we have seen that in this week Therefore, it will be important to learn to include friends and adversaries with the same equanimity in our practice of exchange. We start when it is easier for us, with ourselves and with benefactors, and we move towards people for whom metta or karuna is difficult for us, namely for the ones we dislike or hate. Perhaps we just practice too rarely in this formal way for a definite sense of balance to be created in relation to friends and unloved ones. But you see, when we go through the categories in these days, even if the difficult ones are only for a short period, in a way that's what we do, we equalize, we get a sense of all of them are worthy of our compassion in the same way, whether they're close to us, and we love them, or they're difficult. So, reflecting on examples from our lives can help us develop in this direction. However, em- equalizing our emotional relationship should never slip into indifference. That's always one danger. But rather lead to a sense of equivalence or gleichwertigkeit or equality towards all beings. That's a kind of direction. What helps in this practice is to see that in our lives we can often observe and experience how not only friends or even lovers become opponents or vice versa. It's always over and over, happening sometimes, even momentarily. Like somebody we really love says something we really don't like, and boom, it changes. Many examples again. Unfortunately, divorce fights are quite widespread these days. One is newly in love, the other person is the most wonderful, interesting and beautiful person in the whole in the whole world. Few years later one comes to realise this person is the most wretched, boring and ugliest person on earth. Another few years and one now feels completely indifferent towards this person. It's gone. That chapter is finished. And of course this is not somewhat exaggerated and will hardly, hopefully hardly occur in our self circles. I hope, I don't know. What did she say? Yeah, things are imperfect. That's true. Even in mild cases, is this is okay in this way. Even in mild cases, it is astonishing how drastically our relationship with others can change into its opposite. Nations, just as Japan and the U.S., have fought each other in the cruelest way, as we all know, during the Second World War up to the use of nuclear weapons. Only a very few years later, close trade trade relations and a lively cultural exchange began. Complete change. In my school years, one day a skinny, rather unsightly, somewhat clumsy-looking boy appeared in our class. I don't know why he came in late, somehow. My reaction towards him They were not exactly sympathetic. A year later, we were best friends for years to come. He still was skinny. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) We can despise people only to one day see them as friends or even as highly esteemed acquaintances because of changing circumstances. With today's unloved people or opponents, it can be the other way around. Perhaps there were times when we appreciated them or cultivated their friendship, and now we suddenly experience them as opponents. As we become aware of these processes, we increasingly realize that it makes no sense to despise or hate certain people and cling to others with attachment or desire. That kind of observation can help us to give up a fixed sense of seeing someone as adversary and vice versa. It can help us to put down the rose-colored glasses through which we look at our beloved ones and help us to look at them in a realistic light and thus diminish our clinging to them. In the same way, we can remember that all the countless strangers we don't care about, whose pain or well-being leaves us untouched, may one day help us or even be our good friends. It is therefore actually quite inappropriate to neglect or ignore them. In the early 70s, myself and countless others, friends, experienced a a very inspiring example of unbiased kindness in the Tibetan Lama Thuk Nyeshe, who unfortunately died way too early in his life. I was fortunate enough to witness the very beginnings of his worldwide movement, which is now run by his disciple Lama Sopur the FPMT. It meant to be in close contact with him, with Lama Yeshe, on a nearly daily basis. Their center had just opened and a few of us were invited. We were only about eight people and the two Lamas. Very special situation. Right from the start, I had the feeling that Lama was particularly close to me and appreciated me enormously. As more and more people arrived at the center over the months and finally the first so-called kopan course, with that time perhaps two dozen participants, took place, I began to notice that increasingly many, perhaps even all of these people, also felt that Lama Yeshe was particularly fond of them. It's not meant as a joke. Because the fascinating and inspiring thing about it was, it was absolutely real. It was true. It wasn't it was that way for each and every one. He, they knew, they felt, they knew, you know, he really likes me a lot. He had truly developed this power of heart to meet everyone as if he or she were his dearest friend. You have to imagine not only what it means for the people around such a person to feel accepted and valued, but also that for someone with this capacity, it means being constantly surrounded by best friends. What can also help to develop oneself in this direction is to apply the just-like-me practice recommended by Pema Chodron. She says, whatever pleasure or discomfort, happiness or misery we experience, we can look at other people and say to ourselves, just like me, they don't want to feel this kind of pain either or Just like me, they appreciate the feeling of joy and well-being. We can also consider what our deepest desire and driving force for all our actions is, most of the time. We do not want to suffer, never experience pain and disease, not starve, freeze or thirst, but have good and enough to eat and drink as well as comfort and beautiful environment. Also, everyone else, each and everyone else, does not want to suffer, never wants to experience pain and illness, does not want to starve, freeze or thirst, but likes to have good enough to eat and drink, as well as to enjoy comfort and a beautiful environment. We ourselves do not want to be frustrated, disappointed or depressed and do not want to be treated disrespectfully or unkindly but highly value being healthy and happy and being honored and respected and loved by others. Also, everyone else without exception does not want to be frustrated, disappointed or depressed and does not want to be treated disrespectfully or unkindly, but highly appreciates being healthy and happy and being honored, respected and loved by others. To the extent that these circumstances become obvious to us, it is also easier to exchange ourselves with others and to take the place of others. Great compassion and a sense of connectedness to life are the fruits of such practice. I'll end with a verse by the Dalai Lama that's called, Never Give Up. No matter what is going on, never give up. Develop the heart. Too much energy is spent developing the mind instead of the heart. Be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Be compassionate. Work for peace in your heart and in the world. Work for peace. And I say again, never give up, no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on around you.